Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan. Welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to your app store and search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, I want you to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 13 and 17. This is a new st- series that we're doing for the Lenten season called um, I Spy With My Little Eye. Uh, this is a game that uh, maybe you've played as a kid. Uh, maybe you have your kids play it today. I know that we try to get our kids to play it on our trips in the van because we just want a, m- a minute where they're not killing each other. You know, so we turn to this game. But the game is simply, you, you find something, you might say, I see something green. All the kids are trying to guess. And then, of course, with my kids, you got some smart enough, like, at the end of the day, it's just a booger. You know, and that's what they want you to guess, you know, because they think they're funny. So uh, play this little game, try to guess all the things, and then you finally come down to what it is with all the questions and stuff you ask. So I wanted to start out today with this. I spy with my little eye something wet. Uh, something that can be clear, can be reflective because of how clear it is, or uh, it can be something that is a little muddy at times. Uh, I spy with my eyes something that can be very cold at one moment and uh, very hot at another time, Uh, but for most time it's usually just lukewarm. I see something that is powerful in one moment and then at other times just very calm and peaceful. I am sure you probably know what I'm talking about now, and if not, it's just simply water. You know, and uh, I, I have to tell you, I have a love and hate relationship with water. All right? And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Here's the thing. I don't really like the taste of water, even though it's tasteless. Uh, I would prefer uh, pop, uh, maybe some Kool-Aid, uh, like milk. I just don't really care for uh, the taste of water too much, except when I just got done working out, I'm very hot and sweaty, and then I grab uh, a nice bottle of water. I mean, I can just down that thing so fast, and it just seems so refreshing. I can dr- grab other drinks, but it doesn't really seem like that they've really quenched my thirst, but water will in that moment. I also have those moments where um, uh, I like uh, sitting around the water. Uh, some of you may be like that. You like to sit on the beach. I don't really care for the beach so much. I don't like all the sand and stuff, but I like to just sit out there and just kind of listen to the waves, just kind of watch them roll in and out. Uh, there's just something pretty cool about that. Some of you like just the calmness of that. Um, and then there are moments, too, where like if I get in the middle of that, I am scared to death. All right? And uh, the reason why is I cannot swim. Okay, and so uh, it's one of the reasons I put on a lot of weight. I heard that fat um, floats. So I'm like, you know what? We'll put on as much as I can, just make sure we're safe, you know? But I I get out into uh, the water, and it starts to get a little high, which, again, isn't very far from me. I understand I'm short. Uh, But I I honestly start to panic a little bit. Um, I start to think about, like maybe you do, like there's sharks and stuff in here, you know? And that's just in my pool. That doesn't matter, the ocean and stuff, you know. So uh, I'm just, you know, sort of uh, petrified of those things. It's really cool going in around some of the water. Like if you've been around some of those sort of serene moments when you just take it all in. I know when we're on missions trips, a lot of times um, we would always go to Jamaica and we're flying in. It's, it's one of those moments where you're like, I hope there's a runway here 
because you can't really see the island until you almost get there. But you, you start getting there, and it's interesting to look down in the water and be able to see straight down in and see everything. I think that's just a very cool moment. But then there's other moments where you're like, where we've been to like Niagara Falls. And I mean, just the power and majesty of that moment is like overwhelming. You know, I mean, it's just this big rush of everything that you can imagine. And so for water, again, it's okay with me as long as it's kind of cool, as long as it's only so high, um, then I feel like I'm not drowning. But there are other times when it gets a little bit high when I can get a little panicky. By the way, you're not going to see me go into six foot of water. All right, it's just too tall. All right, so, um, uh, but I have those moments when I'm panicking in the water. And I want you to know that I think that water has a lot of similarities with life as well. And I was thinking about this the other day as I was preparing this message, but life for me is sort of like water where um, life can be very clear. It can be very like, I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. I feel like I know what my purpose is in life. I, I feel like everything is going pretty smooth. But then there can be some sort of tragedy that comes in my way. There can be um, a loss of a job. Uh, there can be um, problems raising kids. Uh, there can be relational things that are, that are off kilter a little bit. Um, there can be some situations at work where it's hard to get along with other people. And at those times, it feels like life just gets a little bit muddy. Like, it's not clear, like, if this is where I'm really supposed to be. There are moments when I think that life has very sort of this sort of hot sensation where everything just feels like it's, it's going well, it's going right. It's like, um, but I also know that my attitude in life can be sort of where I, I can be hard to be around. I can almost be hostile at times uh, because of things that have happened. Maybe my kids have have, uh, have talked back. Uh, maybe a coworker has said something that wasn't right. Uh, maybe somebody in the church has done something that's not quite clear. And those can be very hot moments. There can be moments when, uh, when it comes to life, I can very, feel very cold and distant. Like I've been disrespected or I haven't felt loved or appreciated. And I try to take a step away from situations. Um, but for most of life, for me, it's just kind of lukewarm. Where it's, it's, you know, things aren't like fantastic, but things aren't the worst I've ever been. And so I just kind of go through the motions of life. And I really think that can even describe us spiritually at times as well. I think for some of us, we can be mad at God for things that are happening and don't understand why everybody else is getting blessed and I'm not. Uh, we can feel because of the situations in, in our faith that I can feel very, very cold and distant from God. Like I don't spend time in, in the word like I need to. I don't spend time praying like I need to. I don't go to church as often as I can. And I can find myself really pulling away from God and becoming very distant from him. But I think for most of us in the church, it's sort of like this lukewarm feeling where it's, you know, not everything's going great, but it's not devastating. And we just sort of go through the motions of almost where we are uh, spiritually as well. I think um, life can have those very powerful moments. Uh, you, have that for, that you have that child for the first time, and it's just like, wow, this is just awesome and exciting. There can be that moment when you buy your first house, and you can feel like you're on top of the world, and you got everything under control. You can have that promotion and a job and just feel like, man, I'm doing very well. Uh, or you can have those moments, honestly, where you feel like you're just drowning, like everything is just kind of collapsing in around you. And, you know, how do you keep moving forward? How do you get out of this sort of pit you feel like you're in at times? 
And what's interesting to me is that Jesus, in this passage we're going to look at today, answered our world and stood in a place of water. And when he stepped into our world, he stepped into the water and he began to under, he began to go through what you and I go through. He walked into our world, experienced our things, and because of that, we're changed for it. So I want to read today from Matthew chapter 3. I want to look at verses 13 and 17. And it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, if you remember who John is at this point, we call him John the Baptist. He's the guy that sort of has the crazy hair and is wearing things that are just, it seems dirty and tattered and all that. He's out there preaching in the wilderness. He's calling people to repentance. He's literally calling out people's sins. He's calling out religious leaders' sin. He's calling out the sin of the people. And then he's baptizing them as well because of, of uh, their sin and asking them to be cleaned up. And so John is also the cousin of Jesus. He's the one uh, who was proclaimed about, like John would come first and he would prepare the way for Jesus. And so even when John was baptizing others, if you remember, John would say, there is one coming after me that is far greater than I am, whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. That's John the Baptist. And so John is there baptizing people and Jesus comes up and it says in verse 14, but John tried to deter him and by the way, um, there's a prayer that I often pray that, you know, Lord, help uh, clean up the ears of people if I mess things up. Uh, I kept saying in the first service, deter. And my wife was like, you know, that's deter, right? And I was like, no, I didn't. So that shows my uh, uh, use of the English language. <laughs> All right. So uh, deter him. Um, and so uh, but it said, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again for your word. I want to thank you for the power that there is in it. I want to thank you for coming and being Emmanuel, God with us, for experiencing life in the form that we experience it. You left everything to be like us. I pray that today as we would examine uh, what, was, what was meant by your baptism, I pray that all of us would be changed. If there's anything that I would get wrong today, I pray that you would clean up in the ears of your people so that the only word they hear is from you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I am really excited about next week because we have five people who are going to be baptized. And what's really cool about that is it's one of these moments when they're going to say, you know, I'm all in, you know, and not only I'm all in, but they're going to give their testimonies and tell their stories about how that they came to faith, which is just going to be an incredible thing for all of us to share with as well. Um, I don't know if you knew this because I didn't always understand this, but a lot of us think that baptism was basically... Um, a, uh, just a part of Christianity. And I want you to know that baptism actually started way before Jesus was even here. And so we have a lot of um, areas in the Old Testament where we read about these sort of baptismal moments. Uh, matter of fact, if you, if you really wanted to concentrate on the way that God used water, you'll notice like right away that when Noah, like when the world was full of sin, God basically baptized the world. You know, and that baptism happened as all the kind of filth and junk was destroyed, and then Noah and his family came out of that 
on the other side, very clean and starting a new kingdom. You'll also see that when uh, Moses was leading uh, the people of Israel out, you'll notice that they came through the Red Sea. And as they came through the Red Sea, as these Egyptians were following them and wanted to destroy them again, the waters collapsed on them, and the baptism right there took care of all that filth and junk that was sort of coming their way. And then you have again Joshua, who comes before the Jordan, and God told, tells him, consecrate yourselves or clean yourselves up in the water because I'm going to exalt you in front of the people. And the next day we read that the miracle again happens, and Joshua and the people come through, and the waters again collapse and it begins this whole new journey or start of a new process. In the Jewish tradition, uh, there were basically two reasons to be baptized. One was to proselytize, uh, which is a big word, and a lot of times I have to look those words up. We use it in the church sometimes about we'll proselytize one church from another. In other words, we're, we're going after other people's members for some reason, and, and so we see it as a negative word. But in the Jewish tradition, what that meant is that people wanted to convert to Judaism, and so if you converted to Judaism, what happened is you had basically three steps you needed to take. In other words, it was your way of saying, I'm with the Jews. I want to be one of them. So three steps you had to take was one, you had to be circumcised. So every male had to be circumcised if you wanted to be a Jew. Secondly, was that you had to go through teaching and then be examined as well. So you would learn about all the, uh, what we call the, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, and all the laws. You would go through that, and then you would have an examination to make sure that you really wanted to go through with this. And then one of the last procedures was what they called, um, um, oh, i got to get this, mikvah, which mikvah is the idea of being immersed. Okay, and then that's what we would consider baptism today. So in the mikvah, what you would do is you'd basically go down into the water, and then as you came up out, you would then be converted. Okay, and so this process, by the way, when you went into the water, there were certain rules and regulations about the water. The water had to be cold, it had to be flowing, it had to have an in and an out uh, because there was a cleansing process that was done there as well. So you would come in, immerse yourself, and step out to the other side, and you would be made new or refreshed. Then the secondary way that mikvah was used is basically some of the traditions that we read in the Old Testament were like if you had sores on your body and you were coming into a place of worship and you were considered ceremonially unclean, what you would do is you would come into the mikvah and you would immerse yourself and you would come into this water again that is flowing, has in and out. And what would happen is then is as I come in, I'm taking what is dirty, I'm being rinsed over and I come out clean on the other side. So now think about this in terms of what John the Baptist was doing. John the Baptist was call, calling people to repentance. Now, you have to understand he was calling out the Jewish leaders as well, which didn't set well with them. Because the Jewish leaders were thinking to themselves, this is what we do. Like we are the Jews. We are the people of God. Like we already practice this ceremonial cleansingness. And the only reason that we had to do it is if we have sores on our body. And what John was basically telling them, you're sicker than what you know. Because what you're doing, you're just following the letter of the law, and you're not following the heart of the Lord at all. And so because of that, you need to be baptized. In other words, you need to go into this water, and you need to come out clean. And so even when you and I think about baptism to some point, what we're saying is, I recognize that my old life of sin is gone, and now that I'm being baptized or immersed, and I'm coming out on the other side clean or I'm committing myself to all in. So again, we have two types of ways that we even do, and we even think about baptism ourselves. So when you think about baptism, I want you to think about this. 
And I want you to understand that this was what Jesus was doing because it doesn't make sense then why Jesus had to be baptized. Because first of all, Jesus was already a Jew. Secondly, he had no sin. And John calls him out on it. John says this, again, if you read in this passage in 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Which is interesting, because what John is saying, Jesus, no, 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 you don't need this. You're already clean. And I want to take a moment here, and this isn't exactly what's happening in this case, because Jesus is perfect, but I love Jesus' implication is here, because Jesus understands the Old Testament. He understands his, his role and what's going on in this world, and this is when he's going to be starting ministry. But he knew that the Old Testament already called for this baptism to take place. And so Jesus is fulfilling what has already been prophesied about. But I want you to understand that Jesus is not skipping any step of the way. He didn't come up and he didn't say, you're right, John. I am perfect. I don't need to do this. Because there is a moment in which Jesus is trying to identify with the people of the time. There's a moment that you and I need to understand that Jesus is trying to identify with you and I. But there's too many times in life that I think we try to take the wrong steps or get in the wrong process. So there's this book written by a, um, uh, Kevin Myers, who's a Wesleyan pastor in Georgia. He wrote this book called The Home Run Life. And in The Home Run Life, what he talks about is this. He says, too many times in life, we're afraid to take the base. We don't take the bases in order. He said, what we tend to do is we tend to start out third because we just want to get home as quickly as possible. And so what his challenge is to take the bases in the right order. And what he means by that is first, and he'll say this, he says, so first base should be really developing your character and then to developing other issues in life. Now, Jesus obviously didn't need to develop his character, but you and I do. And I think too many times we try to take the fast way or we consider the easy way just to get all the fame and glory for what we're doing. I've often thought about it myself, like if I would have started out just graduating college and I would have been the lead pastor of this church, it would have been a train wreck. And the reason why is because in my youth, I wouldn't have known how to respond or react to certain situations. Because Chuck coming out of college would have been a very arrogant, prideful individual. And if someone had a problem with me, I would have been sarcastic in um, my thinking, and then it may have came out as well. If someone would have challenged me, I would have thought, well, who are you? Have you had as much college as I had? And those little things would have came up and it would have been destructive to the church. I would have tried to do things my way instead of really listening to God's way. And it took God a while to shape me in my character before I was able to really be sort of on this platform. And I think too many times in life what we do is we platform people before their character is ever built. And then we wonder why they fall. And so for some of you, think about this, even, if you, even in your job, sometimes you advance too quickly you don't really know your stuff, and it's affected the company. Sometimes, even some of us might think we've been too platformed in, even in our own lives. Some of you can say, I think I had kids too early, because you didn't really know how and understand how to work through it. But that's, again, why I'm thankful for God's grace, because God steps in and clearly helps us in those situations. But Jesus came in this moment to identify with the hurts of the community. 
And Jesus said this. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. First, I love this because John's reaction, I think, would have been much like any of ours. See, John had a purpose and a plan. He thought, you know, baptism is for the repentance of sin. And Jesus came, no, 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 no. I'm already going to twist things around. And he said for him, baptism is about identifying with people. And so where they thought it was for the remission of sins, again, he was saying to John, John, it's going to be different now. Because even a lot of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were proclaiming says, we're going to do it differently now. We're going to quit talking about the letter of the law. We're going to talk about the heart of the law instead. And so he's already making a moment of change in this passage. And so it's interesting to me because John's been trained and he's thought one way all his life. And then Jesus steps into the situation. And what's John's response? John consented. And I think that's a powerful moment. I think that's something all of you and I need to think about. So when you and I read the word of God, when you and I hear from Jesus or we're in the text and we're reading and something hits us and we realize that God is calling us to something or to change or to do something, you and I should consent. You and I should say, let it be so now because this is the right thing to do. And so I love that. And not only was John doing that, but Jesus was doing that himself. Because you have to understand that when Jesus came to this earth, what he was doing is he was consenting to live like you and I do. He gave up all of his godness in that moment, and he became very human in that moment. And he says that I now am acting in the will of the Father. And so he was consenting to the role of being a human because that's what the Father asked him to do. And so all of a sudden now you have Jesus living in this world. And think about all the things he's consenting to. He's consenting to experiencing joy like you and I. The very first miracle he does is that miracle of turning the water to wine and he's celebrating at a wedding. So he knows what it's like to have joy. But then you have other moments where like Lazarus is dead and the sisters come to him and say, if you would have been here, Jesus, this would have been taken care of. And Jesus has that moment where it says that he weeps or he cries because the moment is overwhelming. Jesus identifies with our hurts and our struggles. You have the woman that was caught into adultery that was brought to Jesus, and Jesus begins to show her love. He begins to show her that you can be forgiven and that you can change. Like he's constantly consenting to help other people out. He's consenting to eating with people that no one else would eat with. He's consenting to calling this group of people that had issues and problems, and he says, I'm going to train and instruct them for a period of time. He consented to touching who no one else would touch. Those with leprosy and diseases that no one else would even get close to. And these people would have to yell, unclean, unclean. And they would have to stay separated from. Jesus goes right up and he says, no, no, no. These are the people that I want to touch. These are the people that I want to be around. Jesus consented to going after some of the religious leaders of the time. Knowing that they would come back at him. And they would make life more difficult for him. Jesus consented to being stripped of his clothes. He consented to being beaten. He consented to being mocked. He consented to being spit upon. And he consented to dying on a cross. Because at the end of the day, he thought that these people are worth it. And so Jesus was identifying with you and I. 
So when you and I go through situations and problems in life, you have to know that there was a Savior that stepped out of his world and into our world to identify with you and I. The other thing that's pretty moving about this, and we already talked about that a little bit in the history, but if you take every moment that there's a baptism that takes place, there's hardships right after that. (laughs) All right? So you have uh, Noah, who now the world has been destroyed. He's got to start over. He's got to start making things, building houses and doing whatever he did, getting up his tents and stuff, and he had to start over. He had to start taking care of the land again. You have um, Moses, who has led the people out of Israel, and there was this moment of baptism, and then in the next moment, you have them wandering in the desert, crying for food, hoping that they'd be fed. Like, that's a problem. You have Joshua, who now leads the people across the Jordan River, but as he leads them across the Jordan River, they know that they're going into battle now. So it's a problem that's coming up. And Jesus was no different, because what happens after his baptism? We read immediately that he goes into being tempted. And temptations are a very human thing. But the way Jesus responds to temptation is very different than you and I do. And so, for example, the three temptations that came to Jesus were basically these. They were basically the lust of the flesh. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil came to him and says, why don't you take this stone right here and turn it into bread? And Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he, though he might have been tempted as you and I do, in the flesh, in the lust of the flesh, Jesus said, I don't need it. And I think that you and I are very tempted by the things of this world, that we want more, that we need to feed ourselves, that we need to get heavier and heavier on things, when all that really matters is the things of God. You see, we can store up all this stuff, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But that's still a desire or temptation that we have many times. And Jesus stepped away from that. Secondly, you have the temptation that Jesus faced of of a lust of power and pride. The devil took him up and said, why don't you throw yourself down from this temple? And, And Jesus said, look, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. But there could have been a moment he could have said, let me show you my power. Let me show you how awesome I am. And when I send myself down, the devil says, the angels will come and they will concern themselves around you and make sure that your feet doesn't hit the ground. But Jesus says, that's not what I've come here to do. I didn't come to do things in this order. I don't need to be arrogant. I don't need to be prideful. And I think too many times you and I, like, we have this sort of lust to be powerful, to be accepted, to be all the way up here. And the truth is, that's not what we need. Power and pride is not what we need at the end of the day. It will never support us or sustain us. And then you have the third temptation, which is basically lust of the eyes as well. Because the devil took him up to a high place and says, look at all this. I'll give you all this if you just bow down to me. It was like an easy way of taking it out. And Jesus again tells the devil, no. And he walks away from all that. And I have to tell you, church, that there's a moment when you and I walk into baptism, we identify with one another. That I would love to tell you that the moment after you're baptized, like everything's going to go great. But the truth is, you're going to walk into some pretty crazy stuff at times. But you and I do have the power to resist the devil. And then when we resist the devil, the Bible tells us that he must flee. He must get out of the way. Now, I'd love to tell you that every moment we do the right things for the right reasons. But the truth is, we still make mistakes. 
But that's why God's grace is sufficient enough for you and I. Secondly, the baptism, why Jesus had to be baptized is this, is to testify. So verse 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting him. Now, this is a pretty cool moment when you think about it. I mean, the Spirit of God came in the form like a dove. Like when heaven was open, there it came. And this was basically an anointing moment for Jesus. This was a moment that had been talked about, that it had been proclaimed about. So if you read Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the, re, uh, they will renew the ruined cities that they have been devastated for generations. Like this is a powerful moment when all of a sudden Jesus is anointed and he begins to preach the word. And it's a word of hope. It's a word of love. It's a word of repentance. Like we need to do things differently. And why? Because I'm testifying to the power of God. I'm telling you what I know about heaven. I'm telling you what I know about God. I'm telling you that there has got to be change. And there's something very powerful in a testimony. And there's something very powerful about the anointing of the Holy Spirit on that place. So if you were here with us on Wednesday, I believe you would have experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There was something powerful. And I want to tell you, I didn't feel it when I walked in. But when I sat down and we started feeling and started singing the first song, there was this moment I had to stop and just take it in. There was a moment last year, honestly, at Ash Wednesday. And a lot of you won't know this story. I just got to witness it. A lady came in and she said, I got to take care of some business tonight. At the end of the service, when we're doing communion and other things, she went and knelt down on the altar and gave her heart to the Lord. I had not one thing to do with that. That was the anointing of the Holy Spirit working on that individual before they even came in. Some of you had heard the stories about Asbury, and I thought Asbury's been just a really cool thing. And if you read even some of the backstory of it, it's just amazing because there was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit where they started a chapel service that went on for days and days and days as students kept up confessing their sins and they were praying and they were singing and all these great moments were coming on. And then what you saw is this town that couldn't really, they can't really sustain a lot of people. Over 7,000 people were there at one time filling the streets and the sidewalks and stuff because they wanted to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But then they also had some, what you might consider some famous religious leaders trying to come in. And it looked like that they might want to say a word or speak something. And I love this about the educators there because they got together and they said, look, this is a student-led thing. We're not going to let any of these big wigs say anything. We said we want the Holy Spirit to do the work. And man, is that powerful or what? And I love because some of the religious big names came in. And people you may have heard of, some of these singers and stuff. And they just went and they knelt at the altar. And no one even knew they were there. And they experienced the Holy Spirit 
and students were praying around them as well. Like there's something moving and powerful about that. That the Holy Spirit just ascends upon a place. And there's a story to tell because of that. And you and I know what we were like when we were in sin. But you and I have a story to share. It's a story of change. It's a story of hope. It's a story of grace. Like you knew what you were like before. I knew what it was like to be prideful. I knew what it was like to be arrogant and competitive. But then I knew how Christ made a difference in my life and changed me. The old Chuck would have been ready to fight and pounce on anybody that would attack him. The new Chuck in, in the way of Christ says, you know what? Let me just process things for a moment. I hear what you understand. I hear your concerns. And instead of attacking you, let me just sit on it for a moment and let God speak to me and decide where we're going to go. And that has saved me more times than not. Now, I'd like to say to you that that has changed me in every way possible. But I guarantee my kids could list a ton of things that dad is still messing up in. I guarantee one of them is going to write a book on it. All right? And you're going to need to buy it because you're going to like, oh, yeah, I got to hear all the junk and stuff. You know, but I'm sure there's this moment where it says, well, dad says one thing from the pulpit, but over here he lives this way. And I have to tell you, I am still a work in progress. I would love to tell you that I get everything right 100% of the time, but truth is I don't. Sometimes I'm tired, upset, or angry, or I've had enough in a day. And I just respond very poorly. But boy, I'm thankful for the grace of God that still allows me to testify to his goodness. And so why do I love baptism? Because people share their stories. And people's stories are powerful. The world was changed because individuals witnessed the miracle of Jesus and they told the story. And that story has changed the world. So your story is important because what it helps us to do is identify with you. And if you and I think about it, when we're baptized, what we're saying is, and this is one powerful, important thing, and I forgot to say this earlier, but when you and I get baptized, it's way it's our way of saying that I identify with the people of Christ. It's a way of saying that I'm all in. It's a way of saying that all the struggles and all the things that you face as Christians, I'm wanting to jump into those waters as well, and I'm wanting to identify with you. And people, there is something very powerful about that. And I want you to know, it's the identity of being in his church. And I hope you understand what I said. I said his church. Not my church. Not Dayspring. Believe it or not, there are other Christians in other churches. Okay, I don't know if you knew that. But there are people that are confessing in other places that saying, look, I'm all in. I'm into, I'm into Christ. And we need to be there and strengthen and challenge one another. Why? Because we identify with one another. We know that we can be prayed for and cared for in this setting. Then you have the last thing that I believe that, that we see in Jesus' baptism, and that's this, is that Jesus had to be baptized to be justified. So verse 17 says this, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I think that is one of the most powerful moments in the scripture. Because Jesus left his godness to become human, and the father looked down and said, Thank you. Thank you for complying with what I asked. Thank you for being willing to go to the cross. Thank you for being willing to love people, to be around all their hurts and all the junk, 
Thank you for being able to be ridiculed and mocked. And the father stood there and he applauded. And church, that's a very powerful moment. It's one of the reasons why I love at the end of baptism, after people share their story and after we baptize, we'll say, dead to sin, which we're saying they, you know, they're dying to their sin just like Jesus, and then coming out new, being resurrected into the faith. One of the reasons that's so powerful to me is at the end of that, we all clap. Why? Because it's just a church we're identifying and saying, thanks for being one of us. Heaven, man, when you became a Christian, did that as well. And I think you and I know those powerful moments because we've stepped into that at times. There are times that my kids do something and everyone else sees it and they may get a trophy for it and everyone celebrates and like, look how good you are. But the most meaningful moments to me are when I see my kid do something for somebody else where they give to somebody in need, they compliment their brother or sister, or they give to them um, even though they wanted something, they give it to somebody else. Like that's a powerful moment and dad pulls them aside and says, Good job. Good job. You're doing the right thing. I'll never forget when I was, uh, I don't know what year it was, but there was this year when we had opened up all of our Christmas gifts. And after we had opened up all of our Christmas gifts, we usually played with them and probably broke them within five minutes or something. But uh, I got the Christmas gifts this one, this one year. And I remember just going into my parents' bedroom and they were just sitting there. And I said, hey, mom and dad. I said, I just want to tell you thanks. Uh, for the gifts this year, it meant a lot to me. And uh, my mom and dad said that that was one of the most powerful moments to them. And it's the moment when they said, you've become an adult now. And they did that. And it was powerful and it was meaningful. God the Father looked at his son and said, good job. And when he sees you and I step into the faith and do some things that are pretty powerful for the kingdom and we share our story, he says, good job. You know, the, the, the thing that we probably don't always look at and see in this, but it's one of those times when we see the Trinity at work. And we talk about the Trinity and the Trinity is basically three gods in one. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they're all at work in this moment. So you have Jesus who steps out of glory and comes and lives on our world. And then you have the Holy Spirit who descends upon him and anoints him to preach the word. And then you have the Father in heaven who says, well done. This is the way Jesus starts his ministry, by being baptized. And all three are present. And when Jesus leaves... In verse 28, I want you to read this in this great commission we call it. Verses 18 through 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He said, Go and make disciples. And that word go, again, if you and I break it down, the, literally the word is meant going. And so, and it means this, while doing life with people, make disciples. So parents, you're making disciples. While you're doing life, teach your kids to do things differently. Teach them how to handle 
a struggling moments. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to dig into the Word. Teach them the importance of God because you are making disciples. When you're at work, when you're at school, man, treat things differently. Live differently than the world. Teach people how to love. Show them love and respect. When everybody else is being lazy on an assignment, you get in there and you do the work that you've been asked to do. When everybody else is grumbling about things that are going on, you put a positive spin on it. When everybody else seems like they're hating on somebody, you begin to love somebody. Why? Because we are going and we are making disciples. And when we're asked to make disciples, it says then, baptize them into the faith. And the power of the Father who instructs. Jesus who showed us how to love. And then the Holy Spirit who anoints different moments in our life. And you and I can have a powerful testimony to share with others. Would you stand with me this morning? And let's pray together. Father, I thank you for powerful moments that we see in history and powerful moments when you were there walking where we walk, touching what we touch and seeing what we see. Father, I pray today that our eyes have been opened, that we would recognize the importance of your baptism that we would recognize the, the importance of identifying with other people and being included in into this thing we call the church. I appreciate those times, Father, that you taught us how to share our stories. And I pray that we can understand that this is where we once were, but this is where we're at today. And it's all because of relationship with you. And I pray that all of us would accept that moment when you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray today that as we leave, that we would be a people that are changed, that we would be a people that are willing to share in love. In your name we pray, amen. So church, today as you leave, make sure you know the message that God has placed in your heart and begin to show that love to others. We'll see you again next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, Visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.